Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. In today's episode, Riley Smith is joined by J.C. Thompson with the Midwest Row Crop Collaborative and also Associated Farmer Rob Stout. Dustin speaks with Marion Farmer Bob Flukop, and Russ Parker provides his faith-based segment. Let's turn our attention now to this week's news headlines. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag announced this week that the Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship once again offering Choose Iowa value-added grants to expand the availability of Iowa-grown, Iowa-raised, and Iowa-made foods, beverages, and other agricultural products. Choose Iowa grants match up to $25,000 per project to help farmers, businesses, and nonprofits increase or diversify their agricultural product offerings, which provide more local food choices to consumers. Applications should be submitted through the online portal on the Choose Iowa website. They are due by 12 p.m. on December 15th. That's all the time we have for this week's news headlines. Let's turn it over now to Russ Parker for his faith-based segment here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Most called her June, some Grandma, some Gigi, and others Mom. And I know it's not Mother's Day, but it seems logical to talk about her. These last few days have given me and all my family some some special quiet time to recall how she influenced us and taught us life skills. As her firstborn, perhaps I was a guinea pig. I think as her first baby, there were some challenges. But I say I was really doing my younger brother a favor, training up mom for her second son. Mom said he was easy, but I can't really recall any thanks for that. Three more boys would come after me. Two would survive. I suspect that reunion will happen soon. A mother's love is a unique thing. Really, it's a gift and a universal concept. For most of us, mom equals love, and we represent the same things for her. As I look around the walls and the furniture tops in her home, pictures of all those that she loved and count as a blessing are everywhere. Her parents, siblings, her sons, their wives, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, a legacy of life and love. Especially at this time, I'm reminded of the conversation of the two dragonflies living underwater as larvae. They could see the sun in the sky above, and they knew it was somehow much different than the environment they were in. And then one day, one swam to the surface, and the other one shouted out, Tell me what it's like, before he disappeared. But the answer would come at another time. Mom's legacy Bible verse comes from 1 Colossians chapter 9 through 14. And and Paul talks about continuous prayer, the source of wisdom, a worthy life, growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And in verse 11, he says, And being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we might have great endurance and patience. And so it is for each one of us, all part of God's plan. As her husband before her, Mom taught us all how to live and gave us a priceless gift, a peek at what heaven will look like. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. Up next, Riley Smith provides segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.
The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the Soy Checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Your productivity, profitability, and sustainability are top of mind this harvest season for you and for us. From increasing soybean demand worldwide to determining what conservation practices best suit your farm, the Iowa Soybean Association has your back every step of the way. Unlock your field's full potential and harvest the benefits of farmer membership by visiting IASoybeans.com. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, you're here with J.C. Thompson. She's the Partnership Manager with the Midwest Row Crop Collaborative. Uh, J.C., great to have you on. Uh, a lot of farmers probably not too familiar with the Midwest Row Crop Collaborative yet. Tell us a little bit about that effort. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Midwest Row Crop Collaborative is a collaborative platform designed to test and demonstrate solutions that encourage the widespread adoption of regenerative science-based um, farming practices that benefit the farm, but benefit the environment. Um, we really use this platform to share learnings from these tested solutions to support their scaled adoption across the supply chain. Um, our members are at the core of this platform. Um, they are industry-leading companies in the agricultural supply chain and the environmental nonprofits convened that are driven around the same uh, mission, vision, and goals. Um, our members include PepsiCo, Unilever, Cargill, Kellogg's, Bayer, Nutrien, Walmart, Neste, the Environmental Defense Fund, the World Wildlife Fund, and the Nature Conservancy. So how was it, you know, kind of able to get started to have those, uh, you know, big name companies uh, working with farmers and kind of coming together towards that goal of sustainable agriculture? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. Um, kind of seemingly, like, it's a space that they kind of seemingly um, partners that you wouldn't think to see in the same space. Um, but really, they came together because they, they understood that at, at the heart of the issue really was that um, farmers and their um, supply chains were at risk from climate change and they needed to do something um, to help farmers really transition into regenerative agriculture because at the end of the day their businesses are reliant on a, a steady supply of commodity crops and um, to make sure that farmers were really supported in this transition to regenerative agriculture. So they convened kind of around that same um, mission, understanding that they also were, were key players in this space. They have a lot of power um, and a lot of, they have, they have levers to really, um, to drive the, this type of change. And so they came together around that shared mission, vision, and values. And you guys have already seen some good success uh, from that collaborative. Uh, just released your 2022 uh, report. Tell us a little bit on uh, some of the highlights that you saw from that data. Yeah, absolutely. So MRCC engaged um, about 2,650 farmers in 2022 um, across four Midwestern states. So um, we have projects in Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, and Michigan. Um, we supported the regenerative practice, regenerative agriculture practice adoption on over 700,000 acres in the Mississippi River Basin. Um, and our goal is to achieve multiple measurable regenerative outcomes on more than a million acres. So those are kind of some of the highlights that, that um, 
were in the 2022 impact report. And of course, like you mentioned earlier, uh, farmers want to adopt those regenerative ag practices, but there is a risk involved from changing over, uh, from, you know, from their prior practices to new ones. So like you said, having that support and making sure that they're able to comfortably make those changes is obviously a very important thing. Absolutely. I mean, we really try to talk about like the business case for why both farmers and these companies are um, are taking on this challenge to put more acres into into with regenerative agriculture practices. Um, so really, our collaborative takes a look at the systems change approach to driving that transformation in row crop agriculture with the understanding that each member has a prominent role. Um, and yeah, I, I would say um, that that's kind of like at the heart of the matter is that we're, we're working on de-risking those practices for farmers. And it's also a risk for these companies as well, um, changing away from business as usual. And then thinking of those uh, practices that are involved with the Row Crop Collaborative, uh, obviously cover crops come to mind. What are some of the other practices that you're seeing farmers adopt? Yeah, we got nutrient management, prairie strips, um, no-till or conservation till are kind of those primary practices that we're looking at right now. Um, we're hoping to expand our portfolios to learn more about what farmers can do on the edge of field. Um, thinking about putting in like prairie strips outside the field or um, what they can do kind of off of their production um, land on their broader um, acreage. Lots of great information today, JC. Is there anything else about the MRCC that our listeners and viewers should know about today? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would say on a surface level, this work is really about protecting our environment um, to ensure healthy water and soil for generations to come and about ensuring producers who are the backbone of our nation's food supply that they can thrive. Um, but really deep down, it's kind of about finding common ground um, and bridging differences in power, priority systems, um, and perspectives by building relationships. Um, like we alluded to at the, at the beginning of the interview, these are people that you wouldn't necessarily think to see at the same table. And so um, the Midwest Road Crop Collaborative is really trying something new that like, we all have a, we ha all have a role to play um, in this transition. And um, it's really finding what, what those roles are and how individuals can contribute to a larger whole. And then uh, for those of our listeners who want to get in touch and learn more and just find some more information about the Midwest Road Crop Collaborative, how can they do that? Um, they can visit our website. Um, that is midwestrowcrop.org um, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can get to those handles at um, on our website. JC, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. And uh, good luck as you guys continue to spread regenerative ag practices across the Midwest. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I also had the chance to talk with Rob Stout, a Washington County, Iowa farmer, about his perspective on the Midwest Row Crop Collaborative as well. Uh, Rob, first off, just tell us a little bit about your farm. Okay. Uh, my stepson and I farm about uh, a little over 1,100 acres, and we also raise about uh, 10,000 head of pumpkins pigs a year. So we uh, we uh, practice 100% no-till and have been no-tilling since 1983. And we've been started doing cover crops in uh, 2009. And we've gone to, so we have 100% of our ground is with cover crops now. And then of course, you know, you guys have, like you just said, uh, been using those practices for a while. This isn't new to your farm necessarily. 
Um, what are the benefits that you have seen from no-till practices and cover crops on your uh, farm? Well, the no-till practices, uh, of course, it, it saves a lot of machinery costs because we don't have tillage equipment and uh, time to get things things done in the spring. You know, we just we basically spray and plant, and we've got livestock, so we've got plenty of things to do anyway without uh, taking time to uh, you know till a couple times before we have to plant our crops. And then, of course, the main thing is it uh, saves soil. The erosion is uh, greatly reduced with no-till practices. We also have, with our manure, we inject it with uh, low-disturbance injectors, which are sort of like no-till injectors, so we don't disturb the soil much there, so there's less chance of the soil erosion because of that. So the main thing we did was for erosion, but we found some other benefits over, the, over time. I think after a few years of it, with no-till, you get a little better soil tilt. And then as we've added the cover crops, it took a few years to really see the super benefits out of that too. We see uh, much better soil health. And we've done some uh, studies with Iowa State and with Practice Farmers of Iowa and Iowa Learning Farms, and they've been down here testing uh, the soil as far as uh, counting earthworm middens or earthworm population is higher where we had to cover crops and where we didn't. And the uh, microbial activity uh, as determined through what they call a teabag test has also increased quite a bit under the cover crops versus the, the uh, non-cover crops. And then the soil infiltration, water infiltration through the soil was better too than did the water infiltration test. So everything for soil health has been increased. The reason we did it was because well, back in the spring, about 2009, around 2008, we had some, a couple of heavy rains, and even our no-till ground that was like last year's bean ground, uh, it wasn't quite holding. We were getting some soil erosion in that, so I thought maybe the next next step would be to add cover crops and have that growing crop under it and uh, stop any extra soil erosion. So we went to it for soil erosion, but what we got out of it is a lot of soil health, and uh, took a few years and a couple of little modifications with our management, planter modifications, to actually see now we have some increases in yield. It started out like anything you try and do, you might give up a, a couple, three bushels, four or five bushels the first year or two. Once you make some changes, you can you can overcome that and then in fact maybe get increased yield. Uh, Rob, you also uh, use cover crop practices on your, or you evaluate your cover crop practices using on-farm research. You're also one of the few farms in Iowa to have long-term research plots comparing cover cropped and non-cover cropped portions of your fields. You know, just getting onto that level of involvement with your practices, how much of an advantage do you think that really gives you over other practices where maybe they're not as involved or they're not even, uh, you know, maybe using some of these regenerative ag practices? Well, I think the fact that we had is originally a five-year study with practical farmers of Iowa and Iowa Learning Farms, and we had strips set out where we had like 60 feet wide of each across the whole length of the field, and so we could see it up up close. And uh, anytime the researchers came out, I'd go out and talk to them and kind of see what they were looking for and see if we can learn something from it. So I consider it a real learning experience having this long-term study and an end up running 10 years, it started out as five, and I think they got another grant or something, and they were able to 
make it go 10 years. So we really learned a lot out of it. In the last last several years, we were getting, uh, you know, some positive yield increases out of it. It took a couple of years to, to learn a few things from it. But, uh, it, it works. And uh, I think it's Washington County, I know, is the number one county for cover crops in the uh, in the state. So I'm not alone down here. There's a lot of other people raising cover crops, too. So it's... Uh, we're glad to share, talk with people that have questions, and I think most people who cover crops are. And that was, you know, going into my next point. Uh, you know, what have you guys done so far, and what are you continuing to do to uh, promote these regenerative ag practices and and you know teach other farmers how to incorporate that onto their operations? Well, I've had a few field days out here, and uh, always glad that if somebody wants to call me or stop by and ask me questions, uh, I'm glad to talk. Come tell them what I've learned. I did the same thing when I started. I talked to other people that are already doing it ahead of me and tried to learn from them. And so uh, most of us are willing to do that. And, uh, you know, field days, you, you get a big crowd all at once, and some people will uh, learn from that. And it's good to see, see it in action and see that, hey, you just strip side by side. You couldn't tell the difference between crop on one of those strips or the other other than the fact there's a lot more residue between in the cover crops left in the cover crops so that residue is helping hold the soil and it adds organic matter to the fields too over that 10 years we added about a point in organic matter in in the uh, a percent of organic matter where we had the cover crops versus no cover so that's an advantage too rob are there any last things that uh, for any farmers who might be on the fence about you know, no-till, cover cropping, or any other uh, sustainable ag practices, you know, any things that you would say to them to kind of convince them to finally make that choice? Well, I think it's, it's definitely a good thing to do, you know, and be willing to talk to others, and, and uh, you might have to make a mistake or two, too, but, well, talk to others who are doing it, so you can, you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. That's what I try to try to do when I'm trying something new, is, uh, talk to people that had experience with it so uh, you can you can learn from other farmers so that you can make those changes whether it's a management change or a change on your planting or whatever it is that may make that practice work a little better for you. Rob thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today and uh, good luck with the rest of harvest okay thanks a lot Rob. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin talks with farmer Bob Fluhop. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Scott Madden. I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for 24 years. The Iowa Certified Crop Advisor Program is valuable to me because I strongly believe Being a certified crop advisor has helped me earn the respect with my customers and colleagues as a trusted advisor. Being a CCA has helped me become their trusted advisor by keeping me updated with agricultural trends, practices, and policies that continually change year after year. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. Well, when I first heard the story of Bob Fluhopt of Marion, Iowa, 
It was presented to me under the term of once a farmer, always a farmer. And there is a lot to be said for that statement. But I think after talking to Bob, I came away with a new perspective on it. Maybe not just once a farmer, always a farmer, but once it's in your blood, it's always in your blood. Bob is now in his 90s and living in an assisted living facility in Marion, Iowa, but he's still as involved as he possibly can be with agriculture, both on his farm and where he lives right now. We're talking right now with Bob Fluhopped, and Bob, tell us a little bit about, first of all, your story of your farm and where you're from in Iowa, and, and, and tell us a little bit about what, what, you, what you've accomplished. Well, I lived right around Marion for all my life. Except in uh, 1960, I moved up to Walker to a farm, and I was there until 93, and we moved back here to a farm and closer to Marion. My wife liked it a lot better. So, I mean, from when you started farming to where you're at now, I mean, where you're at towards the end here, I mean, what kind of things have you seen that was kind of impressive for you, kind of changes you saw over your time that you can really that you're really uh, proud of or interested in or kind of amazed by? Well, I started out here where I lived on my dad's farm on Boyson Avenue in Marion. I was farming with him until 1960. The barn burned after, the, it burnt before that in about 58. Then the investors come along and offered him a good price, so he sold it then, so that's when I had to move out. And we found this farm up by Walker, which was 240 acres. And uh, we lived there for 30 years, and we moved back down there by Marion. So I've been back and forth all the time, I guess. So now I understand that where you're living now, uh, in, the, in the senior living facility you're at now, you know, you brought a little of the farm with you outside there. I understand outside the window you had a few corn plants and, and your decaled seed sign out there. Tell us why it was kind of important to have that little bit of farming with you where you're living now. Well, I've still got a farm up here. I've got two of them. And we're always looking at the corn and how it's grown and everything. And so we got some kernels of corn, took them and planted them right outside the window here. And then we got a sign and put it on it so everybody knew what it was. We put everything, kept it watered and fertilized. We got some pretty good ears on it. I was gonna ask you how the yield was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the yield where my farm was was 177. Well, last year it was 200. So, considering the drought, we'll take what we can get, right? <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, I mean, speaking of you know the hardships that we face in farming, whether it's a drought, whether it's other things, I mean. You've got a lot of experience in farming. There's younger kids up coming up that are doing it. You have your own kids that are running the farm as well. I mean, what kind of advice do you give the younger generation to be able to stick with it and not get discouraged? Well, farming is like everything else. If you don't like it, you probably won't stay with it. That's the way farming is. So if, you, if you get started with somebody so that they guide you in the right way, 
Right. He can do a lot, do a lot more than you think he can. But that's the way farming is. You, you fix things up so it works. And so now, as you said, cutting torch in the wilder way you can fix most anything. So we just, you just got to put things together and make everything work. Try to avoid breakdown. Of course, farming is something that you want to do. Of course, with all the new machinery nowadays, well, farming, farming is a lot more attractive than it used to be. Talking with Bob, I definitely got the impression that he's encouraging young farmers to be bold and be courageous, be resourceful, and not to get discouraged if things don't go your way from one year to the next. There's always another growing season on the horizon, and that's one thing that farmers have learned to accept as the years go by. We may see drought, we may see disease, we may see floods or maybe an early frost. There's always something to challenge us. But again, that growing season next year is always around the corner. God willing, you'll have many growing seasons just as Bob has had. We also hope that Bob has many more to go in which he can impart his wisdom on the next generations of Iowa farmers. You can learn more about Bob Fluhopped and see our full interview on YouTube under the AMPM episode from Monday, October the 16th. You can also learn more at iowaagnet.com. And that's going to do it for Weekend Ag Matters here from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We thank you for joining us. We also thank Riley Smith, Mark Magnuson, and Russ Parker for their insights this week as always. You can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. Follow us on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and on our YouTube channel. Make sure you're liking and hitting subscribe and hitting that bell icon so you're notified whenever we put out new video projects as well. Don't forget about our free market podcast. You can find them at iowaagnet.com or get them delivered right to your phone or other mobile device through Google, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. From the IARN studios in Des Moines, I'm Dustin Huffman. Again, for Riley Smith, Mark Magnuson, and Russ Parker, we thank you for joining us. This has been Weekend Ag Matters. <laughs>